Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you're ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Royals legend Brent Rooker <laughs> is having a hell of an offensive season for the Oakland A's. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who once wrote a spec script for the 90s sitcom Wings entitled Lowell and Faye Get It Over With Already, my brother Mike. <laughs> I love the show Wings. I would write a spec script for them, and it may be about that, but I think what you meant to write was hit sitcom Wings, because that thing was right. a damn delight. Everyone forgets that Wings was a banger. Everyone forgets yeah. it was a banger. I went back and watched them all during COVID. I highly recommend everybody does the same thing. It is a very early 90s show. Like you can see the early 90s all over that show. It is funny. Still funny. Very funny. The guy who plays Lowell, whose name I can't. Tim Math. No, Thomas. Thomas Hayden Church. Thomas Hayden Church. He's very funny in it. Wonderful. Tony uh, Shalhoub. Made Tony Shalhoub's career. Well, I mean, Monk made Tony Shalhoub's career, but you know, it wasn't the only thing. He kills it in Wings too. And so if you're interested in some light early, because remember back in the nineties, we didn't have problems like we do now. Like back then it was all positivity. (laughs) And so, you know, it wasn't like what we got going on here. Uh, And so if you want just some lighthearted, remember back when things weren't so awful, go watch some wings. It'll get you going. Um, Don't, (laughs) if you want lighthearted and, and, and fun, maybe not the Royals lately. That's not really where where you're you're at. If you're the Royals Um, on this week's episode, we're going to review yet another excruciating week of Royals baseball, discuss our perspectives on the first month of the season and preview this week's slate of games. But first Royals weekly is brought to you by all in physical therapy for one-on-one personalized physical therapy. We choose all in physical therapy. They took great care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active, crush the skulls of her enemies and hear the lamentations of their women. The excellent specialized care she got at all in physical therapy had her back to being active in no time. Seriously. Arnold asked her for tips when playing Conan, the barbarian. That is our mother. Yeah, if, you, if, if you didn't catch that line, crush the little, hear the limitations. That's from Conan, the barbarian. Uh, <laughs> for those of you who may not get it at all, uh, all in physical therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lisa. It's own Tommy Freebert a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. 
They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit. So get over there to work with Tommy right now. Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All In Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-PT.com. On to roster news, on to the review of last week. We start with roster news. A little bit of roster news this week. Franville Reyes returned from his paternity list. He was down probably taking, you know, watching his baby or learning about his new baby. I don't know what people do on the paternity list, but that's what that's what they were doing, supposedly. Um, so he came back from the paternity list, which means somebody had to go down, and that someone was Nate Eaton. He was sent back to AAA Omaha. Mike, what are your thoughts on Reyes back to the roster and Eaton going down to AAA? Well, I think it's a good thing for Nate Eaton because he was really struggling offensively. Yes, most of his value is always going to be on the defensive side, but you can't give nothing offensively, which is what he was giving. And so it's good for him to get back down there. And he's had a little bit of success in the limited time he's had down there so far. But we need him to fix that approach. We need him to swing less, which we're going to talk a lot about today. We need him to uh, be identifying pitches he can do damage with at the major league level, which is, uh, yeah. Not didn't go well for him this time around. We need Reyes to do better offensively as well. Coming back off the paternity list, he's got to provide more offensively because, again, he provides next to no value defensively. So, yeah, hopefully Reyes can get back to it, and hopefully Neaton can, Nate Eaton can develop a little bit more of an approach, major league approach as a hitter. Yeah, that's the big thing, right? Like Nate Eaton was struggling so bad offensive, badly offensively because he was just the second – the pitcher started his motion. Swing, 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 swing. I'm swinging. Doesn't matter what happens. I'm swinging. Like, and so you can't have that approach at the major league level. You really can't have that approach if you have the hit tool of Nate Eaton, which is not very advanced. It's maybe a 50 grade hit tool at best. And you know, whereas Edward Olivares can be a little more swing happy because he has a ton of plate coverage and a really good hit tool. Nate Eaton cannot. He has to be much more patient at the plate. And it makes me wonder a little bit. Like Nate Eaton goes down. And we saw Nick Prado come up. We're going to talk about that here in a second. But you know what? what's interesting about the Tampa Bay Rays? They really only let guys come up. They really only put guys in their lineup who are ready to have amazing at-bats and plate appearances, who are very patient, who are going to take walks. You really do not see a lot of guys in the Rays lineup who, who are as swing happy as the Royals lineup is. It just doesn't happen very often. They are cultivating guys in their system who take walks, who have really patient approaches, who swing less, and hopefully Eaton can learn as he's sort of demoted, like, hey, guess what? The net thing that brings you back up is swinging less, right? We know you're great at defense. We know you're, you're an athletic guy out there. Swing less, and you'll get to come back up. So hopefully he's ready to start swinging less, have a better approach, as he as time goes on, you're right. He's had some success in AAA already. The overall numbers will always look good for Nate Eaton in AAA. The pitching's not hard enough for him down there. I'm not even concerned about the overall numbers, and I'm guessing the Royals aren't either. I'm guessing what they're concerned about is what does the walk rate look like? What does the swing rate look like? All that sort of stuff. And they have all that data. That data is not exactly publicly available, all the track band data and stuff from minor league teams, but they'll have that data. And they'll know whether or not he's learned to swing less at AAA. Hopefully he does, comes back up and is contributing sometime soon. Mentioned it earlier, but Nick Prado was also recalled to the Major League Club this week. And Freddie Fermin was demoted. Mike Fermin was a guy who only got, I don't know, two or three games up in Major League Baseball while he was here. What do you think about him being here or him him being sent back down and Prado being brought back up? Well, I think it sucks for Freddie Fermin. I would have liked to have seen him in a longer stretch 
with the team with a few more opportunities to play. But I am happy that Nick Prado is coming up because Alex uh, Duvall spoke last week about this on the show where he's talking about this new approach from Nick Prado. And I think it's really an indication that the organization may be starting to understand when guys are ready to be promoted. And you just talked about this. Nick Prado's numbers in AAA were not good. His traditional numbers, his production numbers were not good. But there was a different approach. His peripheral numbers were really good, which indicates that a lot of his lack of production success is because of bad luck. It's not necessarily because the approach is bad or that he's not hitting the ball hard, things like that. And so they said, yeah, the approach is better. And we've seen that so far since he got up here, which is, I think, fantastic because and you know what? He's played a he played a really good right field the other day, too. And so little position versatility as well. He'll be your best defensive first baseman and a solid corner outfielder. And it looks like he's going to be able to stick in Major League Baseball if the approach stays where it has been. So really happy to see that. But I would like to see an opportunity. And I think we'll see it for Freddie Fermin to get back up here so we can see what he can do. Yeah, the secondary numbers looked good for Prado. The strikeout rate was way down, something like 7% from last year at AAA. The walk rate stayed steady. He was The line drive rate was good. And you could see him taking a different approach with two strikes. And Alex Duvall mentioned all of this on last week's episode. If you want to go ahead and give a listen to that, you'll hear us talk a lot about Royals prospects from last week. Um, but that's the thing that made you think, okay, maybe Prado is ready for the major leagues. Maybe we're not counting on like, oh, that strikeout rate is bad, but the overall numbers, we, it should be flipped, right? Previously, we would think like, well, the overall numbers are really good at AAA. Yeah, the batting average on balls and plays like 400. And yeah, the strikeout rate's too high and the walk rate's not high enough and all this stuff. But the overall numbers are really good. You got to give them a shot at the majors and see what happens. No, that's the wrong approach to take. I mean, sometimes when you were us previously with the Royals, you had no choice. It was like, hey, you got to try who, something to see what see what's going to work. But now it needs to be a system where if we're focused on any numbers at the AAA level, it needs to be those secondary numbers, those peripheral ones, those ones that are much more indicative of whether or not the person's approach at the plate is correct, whether or not they're doing the process is right. Some numbers can tell you whether or not the process is right, and the secondary numbers are better at that than the overall numbers. Yeah, to put it easily, those things translate. You know, you mm-hmm. can't control sometimes the outcomes, but you can consult, control the process. And when we say the process, we mean the things that are shown in those secondary numbers. If you can show in those secondary numbers that your process is really good, even if the outcomes aren't there, it's understandable that the outcomes will happen. And you can take that process to Major League Baseball. You can't take the, the outcomes to Major League Baseball with you. Those things don't travel because you aren't really in control of those things. And so take you can take those things you can control with you to Major League Baseball. The things you can't aren't going to carry you in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and, and it comes down to like the quality of pitching between AAA and the majors is uh, the Grand Canyon. I mean, it's exactly huge. <laughs> it's incredibly huge. And so look at a guy like Samad Taylor right now, who is just putting up great overall numbers down in AAA, you know, hitting really well, you know, got a high batting average, got a good on base, got good, you know, whatever. The bat bip is really high for him. The batting average on balls in play. And the question you ask is, what happens when he gets to the major leagues and he's swinging just as much there, but against guys with much better stuff? So he can't make contact in the zone the same way he used to. He can't, you know, he's going to be chasing more because guys are going to be more like on the edges and just outside the strike zone and stuff like that. It's it's a night and day difference when it comes to the pitching in AAA versus the majors. And the things that translate are your ability to have a really good process at the plate, not how well you're actually going to hit the ball because the stuff is just so much better at the major league level. 
On the field, it was another rough week, although I started thinking about it. I'm like, the Royals went two and five this week, which I guess is technically progress because they went one and five in the last two weeks, like each of the last two weeks. So progress of the slowest sort, you might say. Um, But it was punctuated by losing three of four to the vision rival Minnesota Twins. And it felt this week kind of felt like a last gasp of air for a very demoralized fan base. Mike, how did you feel about the week overall? It now brings the Royals to seven and 22 among the worst in Major League Baseball. How'd you feel about this week? I mean, not good. <laughs> I don't feel good about the week. <laughs> you can't feel good about a week of baseball where you win two games and you just doubled your win total. I, um, I love I love that question they ask in press conferences when somebody's just had their ass handed to them or something like that. How'd you feel about that? It's like, well, how do, how do you think I feel? How do you, oh, I wanted to yeah. go out there and lose and get humiliated. You know, like. I wanted to give up six runs in the third or seven or whatever it was today. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't feel good. Uh, I'm encouraged by a few things. I'm encouraged by, because I hadn't seen Nick Prado's new approach at AAA, so I was encouraged to see that at the major league level and see some of the progress that he made, especially with two strikes, see some of that change in approach with two strikes. That was really good to see. I'm always happy to see Edward Olivares get on one of his heaters. I think it's really about time for us to all start admitting that Edward Olivares outside of Vinny Pasquantino is probably our best offensive option, right? I mean, period. He's probably our best offensive player. People, we need to realize that yes, he's garbage on defense, but he gives us a better chance at the plate than just about anybody else. And then of course, Vinny had a really good week too. And it's, it's good to see that going. Um, Vinny's interesting because when you were just talking about that, like uh, swing less stuff for Nate Eaton. And there's going to be a couple of guys. Michael Massey needs to swing a lot less. Bobby Witt Jr. needs to swing a lot less. We're going to talk about that more later. But Vinny Pasquantino swings a lot, but he can do it because his approach at the plate is so much better. His coverage is so much better. And his ability to foul off pitches is so much better than these other guys. He swings through so many other pitches, but he's not like your traditional never swings kind of guy. Sorry, you'd like to throw something in? Well, he's not, or he hasn't been this year. He's been a little more swing happy this year, it feels like. I haven't looked at his swing numbers, but I guess if I'm guessing if I did, it would show that he's swinging more this year. But I also noticed he went, he was like 0 for his last 11 coming into today. And he stopped, didn't swing out of his shoes a bunch today. Today, it looked like he was more intentionally swinging less, taking more pitches and that sort of thing. And as a result, he had a really good day today. But you're right. It, it is also true that he has a really good hit tool. He has a lot of plate coverage. He's really good at battling when he's down in, in a count and actually getting, he has such a good eye. It's not that he gets a lot of hits with two strikes, though he is so far this season. It's also that he gets back into a lot of counts. And so, you know, it's different him to say like Salvador Perez or him to say like Michael Massey. The, the difference is night and day, even though right now Pascontino is swinging a little bit more than we would normally think of a hitter as successful as him swinging. Um, especially with a guy, a guy who has as good a strikeout to walk ratio as he does. Uh, when I'm thinking about this, this last week, I have to sort of stop to breathe and reflect for a second. And when I do, I can see a couple of rays of sunshine that Nick Prado promotion and him sort of hitting the ground running is a really important thing for this team. It lengthens their lineup. It gets them to a place where you, you can see them being a little more successful offensively. Edward Olivares getting on a heater is of course good. Bobby Wood Jr. has started to struggle a little bit. MJ Melendez is stuck in a malaise. It's it's not clicking, that's for sure, but inch by inch, a little bit better offensively. Just inches 
better offensively. So there are tiny rays of sunshine in this last week, but man, there's a lot of darkness in this last week. And so um, I got to squint really hard to see those rays, but uh, some of them, I guess, are probably there. Um, it was a rough week, but we did have some strong performers. We've mentioned a couple of them. Mike, who do you like for a strong performer for this last week? Yeah, I could have gone with a couple people offensively. Pitching was really bad, <laughs> um, at least starting pitching was. But I'm going to go with Salvador Perez because he was one of our weak performers from last week. And so Salvador Perez, and, and we even talked last week about how he came up in big situations quite a bit last week and couldn't cash in. This week was the opposite of that. He went nine for 19 with only one double and one home run. Not a lot of extra base hits, but six RBI. He was able to cash in a few times with guys on base, which is very helpful. We need Salvador Perez to be able to do that. Salvador Perez is the hitter he will always be. Okay, He's not going to change at 33 years old. And so you're going to get into these really hot week, really cold week kind of things. But it's always good when he has a good week. So it was uh, very productive from Salvi this week. How about you? Yeah, he's he's one of those guys where we're like, you and I are like, swing less, swing less. And we're like, Salvi, you don't have to swing less just because you're 33 and it's not going to change <laughs> at this point. You can have one Salvador Perez. You cannot have a lineup full of Salvador Perez's. Okay. He's our Salvador Perez. So Michael Massey can't be our Salvador Perez. Kyle Isbell can't be our Salvador Perez. Bobby Wood Jr. can't be our Salvador Perez. All these guys got to swing less. Uh, the strong performer I had for this week, obviously, Edward Olivares, my boy. I don't know if there's anybody out there more on the Olivares train. Oh, I built the bandwagon. I yeah. built the bandwagon for Edward Olivares. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is you'll never see me get too down on him. Like there were some people in the Royals fan base who started to get really down on Olivares, especially after that game where he made at least one huge defensive mistake that basically cost them the game. And you'll never see me get that down on Olivares' defense. Why? Because you know he's like a game away from getting on like this huge heater offensively where he's carrying the whole team offensively. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not dumb enough to like go out and start trashing all of RS when I know he's like a, a day away from a huge heater. You know, that's, that's how he is. He gets on insane heaters. He was 10 for 24 this last week, five doubles, one triple, one home run. He also had three walks and only three strikeouts and two stolen bases. Olivares can hit people. He has an OPS over 800 right now. Olivares is a major league hitter. I saw someone tweet the other day. He wouldn't start for any other team in major league baseball. Are you insane? Are you insane? <laughs> we he got two OPS guys over 800. We got three. Sorry. We got three guys who would start for other teams regularly. He's one of them. <laughs> you bet. You better believe he would. Start. Any team would want a guy hitting over 800 as an OPS. They'll put him at DH. They'll put him in the, they don't care. Every single team. All, maybe bar five would put, would play him in the outfield every single day. If they could, right. They would have somewhere they could play him in the outfield every day because he is a hitter. I know his defense is bad, but guess what? Defense is not as important as offense. He is. It's a lot harder to hit than it is to play defense and he can do it. Okay. Do not, you will never hear Edward Olivares slander on this podcast. I will not allow it. Okay. Uh, seven extra him. base hits out of 10. Seven, seven <laughs> extra base hits last week. Seven. He's insanely hot right now. Hopefully he can keep it going and some of these other guys can get on, on board with him because, man, he is he is on a heater right now. Not everybody's on a heater. In fact, we have some entire units not on heaters. Mike, tell us <laughs> who your week performer for the week was. <laughs> so I, w I went to look into the starting pitching uh, staff because I was like, I watched these games. I know I could pick three or four guys. And I finally said it would be unfair to go with 
just one of these starting rotations. So I went and I really dug into fan graphs and I was like, I got to figure out how bad our just our starting rotation was this week. Here's how bad it was. 33 innings hmm. pitched this week from our starting rotation. 6.82 ERA. From, that was third worst in Major League Baseball this week. Mm. And honestly, I was a little surprised it wasn't higher than that. 5.18 walks per nine innings. That was second worst in Major League Baseball this week as well. It was bad, ladies and gentlemen. Between Granky's start, Lyle's start, and and Singer's start today, it was real bad. You know who the shining star in the starting rotation was? Yarbrough. Keller. No, they and Keller. Keller no, and he walked no. and he walked like five <laughs> Sorry, guys yeah. or something okay. like that. It was really it was really Ryan Yarbrough who threw, I think, four innings. Uh yeah. Brad Keller, other than him. If you're talking about somebody who's actually in the starting rotation and not just filling Chris Bubich's spot, yeah, it was Brad Keller. But really, Ryan Yarbrough was the shining star of this starting rotation this week. That's a kick to and the You plums. all doubted him. And you all doubted him. He throws Yarbrough, fifty. Stan. <laughs> Yarbrough stand for life. Um, no, that was a joke. Uh, Yarbrough, I think is a fine piece, but man, was the starting rotation bad this week. And this was our great fear, right? Like, oh, maybe the offense will start turning it around. And then, you know, when it happens, the pitching will just go away. You know, like uh, that's looks like it might be happening right now. The offense hasn't completely turned it around or anything, but the uh, starting pitching certainly did not do its job this week. That's for sure. Uh, my week performer for this week is a, an offensive player who just hasn't been right all season. He he played in the World Baseball Classic, didn't get a ton of playing time, got some, but wasn't, you know, and just has not found it to start the year. And that's MJ Melendez. He went three for 19 last week with one double, eight strikeouts, and only one walk. Melendez is a guy who, for a while there, it looked just like bad luck because he wasn't striking out a ton, he was, you know, making some contact. He wasn't falling, but you could also see that he was making some hard contact, but you could also see that the launch angle wasn't right for him. I think it's mechanical in part with him because he keeps hitting fly balls that are hard, but aren't so hard. They're going to leave the yard and they're at a launch angle that are just going to be routine fly balls. And that's not where he needs to be. He's got to be a line drive hitter. He is not, he does not have 65, 70 grade power. He's got like 55, 60 grade power. He's somewhere in there, right? Yes, he hits some balls out of the yard, but he's not going to do it because he's like got super high exit velocities all the time. He's got really good exit velocities sometimes, but he's got to have the proper launch angle as well. And he hasn't found it right now. His swing right now just looks wrong to me. Um, hopefully he gets that uh, going. He had an off day yesterday and they've been giving him some off days while he's like trying to find it. And I wonder if they're like working on stuff with him. I really like this coaching staff's approach to like, deciding when to play players. If they're not doing well, they'll be like, okay, you're going to sit a couple times this week, or you're going to sit three times this week instead of just one day off. And then you're right back in there, you know, and that's good. I think you, you got to give a guy some time to work some stuff out by not playing. Uh, he played today, got a hit. It was a double. That was the double he had this week. And so hopefully he's starting to find it again, feel a little better and can get going because it's him. It's Bobby Wood Jr. And it's Vinny Pasquantino. They are the triumvirate that is meant to carry this offense moving forward. Mike, in a dark, dark week, what sort of theme did you see or did you have or did you create or invent in that tiny, uh, tiny brain of yours? It's time to get real, people. OK, we got to start taking a hard, hard look at some of that triumvirate or some of those young guns that we believe in. But we got to start saying you got to you got to show improvement, you know, 
And the other thing, let's get real about this, because this is something that I brought up early, before the season started and people were going nuts on Twitter. I'm like, what do you think? Like, and that that's this. We were counting on Brady Singer because of half of a season of success. Okay. Thinking that Brady Singer was going to have that exact same thing coming into this year, I think was misplaced. I was, I was always saying like, be very patient because he has more of a track record without success than with success and nothing changed. That's there wasn't a whole lot that changed. He didn't start throwing his change up more. Like we said, he needed to, he didn't really do anything different. His command was a little bit better. He was, yeah. And he was also getting a lot of strikeouts looking. Well, guys are going to adjust to that. They're, they're not going to just lay off that outside two seamer that comes back over the plate. So you have to realize like, Brady Singer was meant to regress unless he changed something, which he didn't. And so I'm not surprised by that. Bobby Witt Jr. He hasn't taken really a step forward with the approach. He needs to. We, you just talked about MJ Melendez. Same thing with Michael Massey. We got to start saying, Hey, and, and, and it's, it's, I'm going to bring it up later, but really for a hitting development team that preaches, they're an approach first kind of instruction. And to see this bad of an approach from so many of those young guys hurts a little bit. It's it's it stings and you want to see more progress. Now, Nick Prado seemed to change his approach in a week. Why aren't we seeing more growth from these other guys? That's a good question. On the singer thing, I've actually been thinking a lot about that. One, I'm not as worried as I think most people probably are because I see a lot of it as like home run success that is really variant. And so like, he's not going to give up the number of home runs he's been giving up. That just won't happen. And so that's a little less scary, but I think you're right. There are two things related to Brady Singer that are also causing some of this regression. One, a, a dip in velocity. He was throwing that two seamer 95 at times last year. He's like 91 to 93 lately. And that is a huge difference. That's hurting him a lot Two, He is yo oh, one of the things that we're learning about as we sort of understand the way pitching development is happening now is that like you have to change every year as a pitcher you have to get better every single year you have to add a pitch every single year you have to make a pitch better every single year there is no like doing what you did last year and being successful again look at joe ryan classic example he was good last year for the twins but did he just like do the same thing this year no he added a pitch in the offseason He's good again this year. That that's sort of what it takes. You can't you can't just do the same stuff you've always done in modern baseball. There's too much information. Guys are going to learn you and they're going to, you know, do really unless you're head unless you're Jacob deGrom and your velocity and stuff is like head and shoulders above everybody else's, you can't just rest on what you have and expect the the league not to adjust. And so Singer needs to constantly be improving. Problem is velocity went down and I don't see any He's not throwing the change up more. He's not, you know, he's not doing anything different than what he's done in the past. You're right about exactly. That. What's um, different? Nothing. Yeah. My theme for this week is I need the pitching back. Okay. I need us back to the pitching that we were having in the first couple of weeks of the season and not the pitching that we had this year. Now I will give the bullpen some credit. They played pretty well this week. Um, it's the starting rotation that just fell off a cliff. Now you expect with Bubich out, that's going to happen. That's going to have an effect. You know, but Lyles has been not very good. He's given up a ton of home runs, which you kind of expect from him. He's got a history of home runs and things like that. But walks, 
are what is really killing me. They are not quote unquote raiding the zone right now. And it, it <laughs> kills me. I, I don't like it. And I think part of me thinks that if the Royals like higher ups had any choice, they would like yank some of these guys. Like, yeah, I think, I think ideal world, they would be yanking guys who are walking too many guys. They would yank Brad Keller. They would yank, you know, whoever's, whoever's walking too many people yank, 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 but they don't have anybody else to go to. And so at this point, they just kind of got to live with it. You know, I think moving forward, they're going to try to install a system where the starting rotation is mostly young guys, mostly, you know, options, mostly all this stuff. And if you need to move guys up and down, you can. And, but for now it's really tough where they're sitting in like, well, we have no choice but to pitch Brad Keller. We have no choice but to pitch to Jordan Lyles. We have no choice but to pitch all these guys because they're all we got. I need them to find that rating the zone mentality again because Singer could have given up that home run to Buxton today and it would have been absolutely fine if he hadn't walked the previous two guys who were on base. That's all I'm saying. I mean, how many innings does Brad Keller lead off with a walk? It feels like it's every single one. I tweeted this. I tweeted this the other day. It's not. Is it even a Brad Keller start if he doesn't walk the first guy of the game? Is it even a Brad <laughs> Keller start if he doesn't walk the three hitters in the first inning? No. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Nap Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Uh, the bunker that I'm building. No. Uh, hips that don't lie, which mine don't. <laughs> well, the, those are those are those are worthy, but uh, also no. Securing your financial future is one of the most important steps anyone can take for themselves and their family, and Nap Family Wealth is ready to help you pursue it. This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Nat Family Wealth is run by JC Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you can get all that money out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Nat Family Wealth at Nat familywealth.com. That's K-N-A-P-P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. One month is in the book for the 2023 MLB season, so we're going to use our spotlight segment to reflect on a difficult April in the hopes of gaining some perspective on the team moving forward. Let's be clear, the Royals were not good in the first month. They went 7-22. and 22. There is no way to define that as a success, however you slice it. But in a season when no one expected them to compete for a playoff spot, there are other questions to consider, questions related to the long-term prospects for the team, and we may gain some perspective on those by looking back at the previous month, however nauseating that task might be. Mike, let's start with the basics. How would you describe the first month of the season for the Royals? Well, I don't have a real descriptive word here, but to the untrained eye, it may seem like the same old crap that the Royals do so frequently where they're out of it before May. And in some sense it is, um, but <laughs> to the I, untrained eye, it may look really bad, which it is <laughs> to, to the trained eye. It still looks really bad, but uh, I, I do think it is a little different than some of those teams that we saw out of it in May in the, you know, the aughts. The, the odd thousands, two thousands and the, even the two early 2010s. Um, because I do think there is some progression in the pitching philosophy and the pitching development. I think you can see some of that progress. I do think you can see some 
glimmer of hope with regards to some of our young hitters. You know, yes, we would like to see some of them be taking more steps forward, but Vinny Pasquantino looks like a legit, you know, I don't want to say star necessarily because there's still time to prove those things, but he looks like a guy that's going to make some all-star teams hitting the baseball. Um, And, you know, MJ Melendez, Bobby Witt Jr., we would like to see more from them, but Edward Olivares is looking pretty good. So, I, you know, I would, I would say those teams in their 2000s and 2010s that were out of it by May, a lot of times that was like with aging veteran free agents that were scrap heap kind of guys and starting rotations of one-year deals and, and dudes that no other teams wanted. I think the Royals have a solid foundation, but I think what you said earlier is very poignant. I don't know that there's a lot of guys, especially in the starting rotation and maybe even the bullpen, that this coaching staff would necessarily want on their team. And I know that's that's weird to kind of say, but they come from organizations with philosophies that don't fit some of these players. And so, you know, it's going to take some time before, you know, we start to set up a minor league system where guy, where then coaching staffs and general managers can go, this is the kind of guy that can help us in Major League Baseball, bring him up. Right now, they're stuck with kind of the, the 26 man that they were given mostly. And there's not much that you can really do with that. And so it's going to take some time, but I do see some rays of hope, even though, you know, we got 22 losses at the end of April. Yeah, it's weird because we hoped for a better early season because just as fans, we don't want to be out of it by May. It doesn't want to base. We don't want baseball to be irrelevant for (laughs) almost the entirety of the summer. Um, But this is a young team. They did play a very tough schedule in April. I mean, a very tough schedule in April. And so I don't know that this is completely unexpected. Like, the offense had a lot of pressure on it. And these young guys, you could see it from day one, opening day. They were swinging out of their shoes on day one, day two, day three, all the way up till today, right? And the problem is when you have that mentality and things aren't going well, you double down on that mentality. You double, you start swinging more. You start pressing more. Everything becomes more, 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 more. When you should take a step back, take a breath stick to your process and that sort of thing, you actually end up just unraveling. And you've seen that so many times from this Royals team, right? Every day is a new day in baseball. And yet for the last month, you've sort of seen a collective unraveling of a lot of different things from them. Now, it didn't help that Chris Bubich got hurt. It didn't help that Drew Waters got hurt before the start of the season. There are things that have not gone right for them when they desperately need everything to kind of go right for them. If we want to have any type of win-loss success, So what you're seeing from this team is not wholly unexpected, even if it feels very bad. And our long-term goals are really not impacted, in my mind, by what's taken place in this last month. In fact, if anything, we've gotten clarity on those long-term goals over the course of the last month. We came into this season, Mike, focused primarily on the development of young players and the alteration of processes related to the pitching and pitching development at the major league level. How do you feel about the prospect of those two goals after one month of ex- a lot of losing baseball? Well, I'm pretty happy with the alterations to the pitching philosophy and the pitching development. We've seen some real big success from guys like uh, Frank Mazzucato, Noah Cameron, um, uh, even uh, Alec Marsh has had some success. Uh, even these are minor league players, these are minor league players for our audience that doesn't, uh, that doesn't follow the minors. Yeah. These are minor league guys. Uh, and, and, and other Panzini's had uh, Sh- Shane Panzini. Some guys have had some, some resurgence in the minor league. So I, I, I like the, the things that we're doing development wise down there and with our pitching philosophy at the major league level, even if 
our some of our starting rotation are can't quite uh, fulfill that philosophy or implement that philosophy. I, I do like the idea that of of throwing you know throwing more strikes, setting up in the middle of the zone. Those types of things are going to be, I think, pay dividends as time goes on. The thing I'm most worried about right now is, as you stated, there's some young hitters we're really counting on that we aren't seeing growth from. You know, if you want Bobby Witt Jr. to be a superstar, a lot of things have to change for him to be a superstar. You know, could he be a competent major league contributor? Sure. You know, Bobby Witt Jr. right now with, you know, the glove and the athleticism and some of the power stuff, he could be a guy that probably starts for some teams, but we need him to be a real offensive contributor. And right now he's not even close to that thing. Now the approach can change pretty quickly, but I haven't seen a whole lot of growth from him uh, as far as, you know, the approach goes. Uh, MJ Melendez, very similar thing. You know, if you're counting on Michael Massey for the future, it's a similar thing. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about our young hitters. I'm a little bit worried about the, I know the message coming from our hitting development is this is the approach that we want you to take. We want you swinging at pitches you can do damage on. I'm not seeing that translate to the batter's box. Can I ask you a shock question? Sure. What do you think about the idea of sending Bobby Wood Jr. down? I was actually just thinking about that. So I was just thinking about that because all I could think of was Bobby Wood Jr. needs a reset because, you know, at the beginning of spring training and stuff, we, and in the regular season, we saw like, Hey, he's taking some walks. That's pretty good. Now we still were seeing him swing through fastballs down the middle and other things that really can't happen. But I don't think this organization wants to do that. Okay. I don't think so either. I don't think they want to do I that. Think about- and I don't, I don't know if it'll be beneficial or not, but it might, I mean, it might, you might be able to say, Hey, go down triple a, this is the one thing we want you to work on and see what happens. I don't know. But do you send down a guy who, you know, honestly is like your what third or fourth best offensive producer right now, even though it's not good. It's not good offensive production. It's not what you want in Major League Baseball, but right. can you do that? And I think their mind is like, well, we can develop him here at the Major Leagues. And it's not that the coaches can't do it. It's that the context of the Major Leagues makes it harder for guys to work on stuff. To like, make changes. That's the competition yeah. moment. Like there is no there is no working on stuff when Major League games are counting. You know, like you're there to compete and to win and to have results. The results matter first and foremost in the major leagues down in the minor leagues. That's not the case. The process matters because everybody knows that the minor leagues is just preparation for the major leagues. doesn't matter if you win a minor league title, nobody cares. Right. And so I can't tell you like they used to make a big deal out of it in with when the Royals won a minor league championship, like, Oh, when, when like Hosmer and Musa, well, these guys won minor league championships and nobody cares. What, what matters is do you win at the major league level? And so, what I find interesting is the notion that like, well, what if the lo- for the long-term development of Bobby Wood Jr., it was better to send him down right now and have him working on his approach and have him working to get his walk rate up to 10% or something like that. Right now, his walk rate is slightly higher than it was last year. His strikeout rate is about exactly the same, right? And so you're seeing a lot of the same stuff, basically. He's vir- virtually the same hitter he was last year, and that's not good. You want him making progress in year two. You're not seeing a whole lot of progress from him. What if that's the answer? I'm not saying it is. I'm just, it's a shock question. Like, it's not a horrible idea in my mind. 
right? Uh, it, it would shock the world. It would shock the baseball community because he's like hyped as a star and a future star. It'd be, it, would, it would shock the, the baseball world, but I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I feel okay about the long term or about these sort of goals that we're focused on, the alteration of the pitching processes and the development of young players. And I mean, just okay. I'm, I'm not great, not terrible. I'm sort of where you are. I, I think that would I have liked for that change in pitching philosophy to immediately have turned around this major league rotation? And, and that's the thing that kills me is like, if Bubich hadn't gotten hurt, would this rotation look significantly different, right? Like, would we be like, well, he's doing well. Well, Keller's doing not great, but not terrible. Like, well, you know, Granky's been hit around, but he's had some good starts, you know, that sort of stuff. Like Lyles is getting hit, but he's also giving them innings, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I'm wondering like, and then Lynch might come back and, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, I would have liked that pitching philosophy to completely, you know, turn around the, the major league roster. That really hasn't happened up to this point. We'll see if it continues to get better. Cause remember these guys are all trying to adjust too. Brad Keller is trying to adjust to this new philosophy. Jordan Lyles is trying to adjust to a new philosophy. And that just it doesn't just mean throwing more strikes. It also means a new pitch mix. It also means, you know, all these different things that they're trying to adjust to. Really tough. There's a chance that they continue to get better at adjusting to it. Same with Brady Singer. There's a chance he, you know, gets some regression and that sort of stuff. I'm a little worried about the progression of the young hitters. I really thought that, you know, we 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 would see more progress from Bobby Witt Jr. and from MJ Melendez at this point. Don't think it's great that they both played in the WPC. Don't like that at all. Needed a lot of progress from them. They went and did that anyway. That 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 conversation is now over. But I'm not. I'm actually pretty happy to some degree. I'm a little bit happy with where those two goals are going. Mike, what does the way that this team has played in the first month tell us about the changes that need to be made in the short term, the medium term, and the long term? I should have been thinking about it in those things. Like there's the short term, which is like this season medium term, which is the next couple, and then long term beyond that. What are you thinking about what this first month tells us about those different time periods? Yeah, I I think it's hard to, you know, after just a month, it's hard to say like these are the short term. Short term, yeah, Michael Massey needs to go down um, and and work on things. Maybe Bobby Witt Jr., maybe MJ Melendez. Who knows like what the Royals want to do or who that's going to benefit. Um, But I think the real changes are like we've just stated, whatever we need to do to see growth from those young hitters, that needs to be done in the medium term. Whether that's sending them down or whether that's, I don't know, giving them two or three days off in a row, I don't know. But that has to be done. The long-term thing that I really think needs to be done, I think we still, and I know we've seen some progress in the minor league levels with with the pitching, but I, I think we still need a great deal of infusion of arm talent into our minor league system. And I, when I say arm talent, I mean the guys that this coaching staff and pitching staff are looking for and the traits that they're looking for from those guys. Because right now, the guys that are down there are not the guys that this group would have picked. Okay? If you go, you know, we're going to start talking about dealing guys like Brad Keller, like, uh, what's his face? Barlow, like Stalmont, like Garrett, like Chapman, maybe Olivares. Right. He's somebody might want Fran Mill Reyes. I mean, people want to have Fran Mill Reyes. He's not really given anything. So I don't know what you're going to trade him for, but you might even hear people start talking about trading Salvador Perez. I'm just saying when we do that, I think that what we get back needs to be arms that 
that this pitching development system identifies as having the traits that they want. Because the guys at the major league level right now, they don't have those traits. Okay? It's difficult for guys to raid the zone when their whole career they haven't even been doing anything like that. And I understand it's a tough adjustment to make, but you know, Brad Keller, the kind of pitching he does has to be a strike thrower. He has not been throwing strikes. Okay. That's the thing. Like you've got these guys, you're asking them to do something they've never been asked to do before. Start bringing in the guys that those traits match what your pitching philosophy is. I think that's the long-term kind of change that we need to start seeing. And I hope that's what we see come the middle of the season and the trade deadline. Yeah. To me, it's like, but to me that long-term that's always been the plan, right? To me, long-term they've always been thinking we have assets right now that we're going to flip at the deadline before the deadline. And my, my thoughts last year when they had those was look for guys, but the problem is this, this new regime wasn't in. So it was like, look for guys at the upper minors who are arm talent, who could maybe help your pitching staff. I think the goal is the exact same for this year. Right now you see a lot of arm talent in quad cities and Columbia, the high A and low A affiliates for the Kansas city Royals, not a ton in double A and triple A. Okay. I think the Royals need to go out and target pitching talent that can help bolster those high minors and start putting guys on deck to come in and fill spots in this rotation back half of this year, next year, that sort of thing. And then of course, for many years to come in the medium term, that, that basically is the medium term. I'm thinking about the short term a little bit, like what can we do right now just to help this team in any way, right? I'm a big fan of mixing up the roster to some degree, right? They have 40 guys on the 40 man. They have guys like Massey who need to go down. They have guys like Hunter Dozier who provide absolutely no value and never will like mix it up. Give Samad Taylor a chance. Give Logan Porter a chance. Give these various people a chance. Tyler Gentry when he's ready. I don't think his swing is ready right now but he'll be ready before too long. Like Michael Garcia. Well, he's, he's struggling right now a little bit with the bat. He's, he's cooled off. But what I'm saying is when, when he's ready, there right. should be no, well, we don't know if we got a spot for him. You got Franmo Reyes hitting regularly. You got Hunter Dozier well, hitting here's, regularly. Here's what they can't do. They can't trade away actual trade assets. Franmo Reyes might be that, right? I know he hasn't hit well, but we saw it. You know, if he gets on a heater for two, three weeks, you know, he'll, his value will go up. Right. If he looks like he has it come around the trade deadline, he's got so many years of cheap control. He's not like Hunter Dozier. Hunter Dozier costs too much money and provides no value. If Franmil Reyes can start providing some offensive value, then he's actually a trade piece and they can get rid of him. But you can't be trading him. But you can get rid of Hunter Dozier. You can send down Michael Massey. You can do the things that you need to do, you know, to help mix up the roster. Now, Drew Waters will come back and that'll help a little bit. Daniel Lynch will come back and that might help a little bit, you know? And so in the short term, just getting a little bit of roster churn might help a little bit. And I'd like to see something like that happen. Final question of this, uh, of this spotlight segment, Mike, is there anything we should take away from this first month as a must change? Like, is there anything you've seen in the last month and you were like, wow, that has to change. Yeah. And we've already mentioned it and, and I can't really say must change, but if this doesn't change, the offense doesn't progress. We swing as a team, way too much. Okay. Now, and, and you were mentioning it and I, and I wanted to interject then, but I knew this was coming up. So I thought when we say swing too much or they need to swing less, what we mean is overall they swing too much, but also we need them to be swinging less because they're swinging at 
premium pitches. Not necessarily like, oh, we'll just swing less even if it's outside the zone. No, that's obviously not what we mean. They need to swing less because they're picking out premium pitches to swing at and leaving everything else alone. Little statistic. I'm not giving you the raw statistics. I'm giving you our places here, but we swing more than any other team in Major League Baseball. I went and looked it up. Our swing rate is higher than every team in Major League Baseball. We swing outside the zone second most in Major League Baseball. Okay? We swing inside the zone second most as well, and that's why our swing rate is so high. But we're swinging at so many pitches that we are not picking out the premium ones. We're just hacking away, and that's not going to work. Okay? Unless you're Edward Olivares, that is not going to work. Okay? So... That is the, if I, if, if you gave me a magic wand, what's the one thing you can change on this team? Poof. I'm making them swing less and they're going to start swinging at pitches. They can actually do damage with. And that was like Bobby Witt Jr. Early in the year, he was swinging less, drawing some more walks, all that stuff. It's just when those premium pitchers came, he couldn't do anything with them. So mm-hmm. we've got to be able to, to do that and do damage with the, uh, with those pitches that are in, in the zones that we can hit. And what's funny about Bobby with that, when he couldn't do anything with those premium pitches, when he wasn't have success, when he wasn't having the results, he ab- he abandoned that approach. Like it was gone. Abandoned like, it. Now just, I'm, sw- now I'm swinging right, at everything. Right back to what he was doing last year. <laughs> and that's the problem. That's the problem. Like if you, if, if you don't get that process locked in in the minor leagues, you default back to whatever you know most. And for him, what he knows most is swing all the time. Why? Because he's had success with it his whole career. Swinging all the time worked all the way up till the major leagues. Well, guess what? It's not going to work now because their stuff is so much better. Same with Michael Massey. We can get him to have a decent approach for a game or two. The problem is when he's not getting the results, even on balls he's putting in play, revert right back to swinging all the time. It's it, it's one of those kinds of things. And until Bobby Wood Jr. grows out of that, never going to be the type of hitter he could be. Until Michael Massey grows out of that, never going to be the type of hitter he could be. Until Kyle Isbell grows out of that, never going to be the type of hitter he could be. And this is what will drag the Royals offense from a potential top 15 offense to a bottom feeder offense, which is what it is right now. The thing I think must change is very much related to that. And that is they have got to get Bobby Wood Jr. and MJ Melendez right. Like, they can't miss on those guys. Like those guys are supposed to be the cornerstone of this lineup alongside Vinny Pasquantino. If they miss on those two, if they're not offensively productive, if MJ Melendez is just a, uh, above average right fielder, below average catcher who hits 210 with a 300 on base and a, you know, 390 slugging it's over. Like if, 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 if right now, Bobby Wood Jr. has an 86 weighted runs created plus, which means he's 14% worse than league average offensively. Can't happen. They cannot have success with him like that. MJ Melendez has a 56 weighted runs created plus can't happen. They cannot have success with him hitting like that. They both have to be above average hitters for the Royals to even have a chance of doing anything moving forward. That has to be a big priority of what they're going to try and change moving forward. The boys in blue are back at home this week for a start of a nine game homestand. I'm sure the reception for fans will be very warm. I'm sure they'll be like, yeah. <laughs> what fans? Uh, that's a good are question. Be there. <laughs> hello. Hello. You know, you'll be, you'll hear echoes uh, coming off the seats. Uh, the Royals will start the week with an off day on Monday and then a three game series against Baltimore before a three gamer against the worst team in major league baseball. It's not an inter-squad game. They're going to play the Oakland A's. Uh, A a good lesson in it can always get worse. Uh, Mike, tell us about the Orange Birds of Baltimore. 
Well, the Orange Birds are kind of a good case study for what a team can do to go from extremely terrible to good, right? They were worse than the Royals a few years ago. Who'd have thunk it? Uh, they are 19 and nine and second in the AL East, probably the most, the toughest division in baseball. Um, the first game will have Ryan Yarbrough, kind of that uh, hybrid starter kind of thing, uh, versus Tyler Wells, a great 28 year old right-handed pitcher out of Cal State, San Bernardino, that baseball powerhouse, uh, 2.79 ERA with a 0.78 whip. So he's really not letting guys on base fastball. What's up? 0.72 whip. Get the numbers right. Did I not Fact say 0.72? What did I say? No, you said 0.78. Oh, I'm broken in so many ways. Uh, He's point, number illiterate. <laughs> 0.72 whip, so he doesn't let guys on base very often. He's got a fastball in uh, the range of 93, changeup, cutter, slider, curveball. Throws a really even pitch mix, so nothing above 40%, nothing below 10%. Really keeps hitters guessing, which we are huge fans of. We, we prefer several pitches from a starting pitcher and no one that they use too often. And so uh, really, really tough uh, matchup there, Yarbrough against Tyler Wells. In the second game, it's like a flashback to 10 years ago. It'll be uh, Zach Greinke against Kyle Gibson, a 35-year-old righty out of Mizzou, pitched for the Twins for a long time, 3.93 ERA and a 1.31 whip. He's a fastball sinker kind of guy, 91 to 92 Slider, changeup, cutter, uh, curveball, but he's really a junk thrower these days anyway. He uh, doesn't like to throw his fastball too much. He's going to really mix in a lot of the sliders and the changeups to see if uh, he can get guys, uh, keep guys off balance. In that third game, it'll be Jordan Lyles. We just don't have a starter yet for the Twins, or sorry, the Twins, the Orioles. Um, so we don't know who they'll be going against in that third game, but it'd be nice to get two against the Orioles. That'd be great. I'd really love that, um, but I'm not holding my breath. After the Orioles, the Oakland A's come to town. They are 6-23, which is good for last in the AL West. They actually, I think, have the worst rest record in baseball. I'm calling this the battle for the basement. You know, uh, everybody's the, the Royals and, and, and A's will fight it out to see who lives in mom's basement. Um, and so... <laughs> Our Offensively, <laughs> yeah, our mom. Uh, we're, they're going to live in her basement. Mom's great at uh, making cheese dip and, and, and letting your friends in for Dungeons and Dragons. So, <laughs> uh, offensively, the A's are bad with a lot of guys well below Major League average and OPS plus. But oddly, Brett Rooker, former Royal Royals legend Brett Rooker, <laughs> is having a hell of an offensive season for the Oakland A's. <laughs> He currently is hitting 333 with a 451 on base and a 727 slugging. He has an o, he has an OPS plus of like 250 or something Jeez. like that. He's really crushing the ball. Uh, one of the few guys for them who's actually hitting. Uh, but if their offense is bad, their pitching is downright disgusting. That is how bad their pitching is. Their team ERA for the whole season is 7.86 which is two runs worse than the next worst team. That is so bad. I can't even describe it. Every starter in their rotation has an ERA over six. And one of them has an ERA of 13. <laughs> so <laughs> they oh. are very, very bad. Just, now what's just, weird is when I looked that stat up, I started thinking to myself, wait, how many Royal starters have ERAs over six right now? Like uh, Granky and Brelly Singer and Brelly. Yeah. <laughs> we want to talk about that. 
Is the Royals it? have a chance here to take some games from the A's. There are so many of those players in front office people just packing bags for Las Vegas. Like, get us the <laughs> hell out of here. Even the possum in the press box is probably packing his bag to go to fucking <laughs> Las Vegas. Get us out of here, man. Yikes. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment, where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. It's been a heck of a week, Mike, so what do you got? Tell us what's interesting to you. Man, I tell you what, and this is another one. You and I have have used this platform to complain about airlines before, um, about s- some other stuff as well. I'm going to use it one more time for that. And my thing this week is real estate agents do better, okay? And here's what happened. I, I think I mentioned last week my in-laws are in the process of selling their house here in Lee Summit. And the people they were selling it to their real estate agent at like the very end, once they know you've invested your time and your money, my in-laws drove back from Arizona for this and to close and all this other stuff. They try and slide in like some nickel and dime crap that they want you to pay for as the seller of the house. And they're like all throwing out like, Oh, we're going to sue you and all this other crap. And it's like, why do real estate agents do that? Like I've only had the opportunity to deal with one real estate agent in my life. And that was not a good experience that, you know, the, there was a level of incompetence that I was not okay with. Um, you know, I ended up being the one who found the house that we bought, you know, we ended up catching him a stuff, $4,000 mistake in the contract, like all these other things. I've, I've never really seen a real estate agent who was like, I could say, you know what? They were competent. They were trustworthy. They were honest you know, and, and they didn't cost me extra money. Those types of, I've never, never seen one. I'm sure they exist. And I'm, this isn't for me to bash on all real estate agents, but it's very short sighted to do that kind of underhanded sneaky. Like I want you to pay for this one thing at the very end, or I want to do this little thing to try and negotiate the price down lower, even after we've already accepted stuff. It it just, it really bothers me. And it it seems kind of used car salesman-y. And I'm not mm-hmm. okay with that. Like, I, that, it seems very short-sighted because if there are real estate agents out there that don't do these things, you know, I'm sure they get referred to other people through word of mouth and that sort of thing. The problem is we need a way to punish the ones that do, right? Like there's got, here's, here's the thing, you know, maybe Angie's list. I don't know, whatever it is, but like, it's gotta be something because that stuff, just be professional, man. Just be professional. Here's the thing. The Venn diagram of real estate agents and used car salesmen is a circle. Okay. <laughs> and I, I'm the next time I sell a house, I'm just going to sell by owner. And because, the, and here's the thing they tell you when you say that they're like, Oh, you don't want to do that. You sell by owner. They go for 20% less ever some, some garbage. And here's the thing. There are probably good real estate agents out there. They're probably ones who add value. I see I've, I've bought two houses. No, sorry. I bought three houses in my life and sold two. I see virtually no added value from a real estate agent. I am just paying you or the seller is paying you thousands and thousands of dollars to do nothing, to do nothing. You are not doing anything most of the time. And it's like, yeah, if you're buying your first house, you probably won't, or maybe you want one because you don't know what you're doing at this point. I see no added value in a real estate agent at all. And I honestly think that eventually the market will just make them obsolete. Somebody is going to innovate in a way that's like Carvana for houses, where it's like, you know well, what? We're going to make that process of buying a house way easier, way more efficient and cut out this person who is not really doing anything. 
Maybe we don't use Carvana as an example because they're like crumbling. Yeah. But I agree. It'll yeah. be something we'll, online we'll where you just that. go in, hey, type in the terms of the contract agreement. Boom, boom, boom. Boom. You sign it. You sign it. I, we did for sale by owner. We've done a for sale by owner. It went extremely smoothly. You know, the people at the title company helped us out with it when, you know, you're always worried like, well, it's contracts. Are we going to be able to, they can help you out with it. Like, and again, this is not to bash on all real estate agents. I'm sure there are no, great ones. I've I've had some I've had but, some good people, but I just at this point, I'm they're not adding value. Yeah. You know. Anyway, anyway. Uh I'm gonna talk about something more positive than that because you're getting me riled, Mike. Um <laughs> I'm gonna talk about I'm talking about a new show I'm watching. And the funny thing about this new show is it's also an old show, a very old show. Um I've started watching the new HBO show, the remake of Perry Mason. It's not actually a remake. Um, if you don't know, Perry Mason, I, I first heard about Perry Mason when I was a kid. Mom, I think, watched it before we were born. Yeah. Right? Yeah. She used to watch like reruns of the Perry Mason show that was on like in the 50s or 60s or something. A very old television show. I knew virtually nothing about it because... I only saw glimpses of it when I was a kid and can't remember any of it at this point. But I remember the name Perry Mason. And so I see a promo on HBO Max for for a new Perry Mason show. And they're like the the, the snippet or the blurb said like learn the origins of of the of the most famous defense attorney of all time or something like that. And it turns out that there's a series of books that that show is based on and they were going to, you know, make it a more faithful adaptation to the books. And it stars an actor I really like I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's like Matthew Rise or Reese, R-Y-S-E, I think is how you spell it. If you don't know him, he was one of the two stars of the uh, FX show, The Americans. And I really like him as an actor. So I gave it a shot and it has hooked me just hook, line and sinker. I love it. I've been watching it for like three days straight. It's amazing. Give it a shot. If if you like well-written, well-acted good cinematography, just like a quality, quality show that has some drama and has some, you know, it's, it's a period piece as well. So it's set in the 1930s. So it's got that kind of noir feel to it. Really, really like it. Uh, it's, it's very, very good. So I highly recommend you give that a shot. Uh, in some ways it's like a courtroom drama, but they're actually not in a courtroom very much. Um, it's, it's got an element of a detective thing, but an element of a, of a kind of drama y thing. I, I really, really like it. It's also, it also shows you old LA, like LA in the 1930s. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, give it a shot. That's my just a bit outside for this week. Loving Perry Mason lately. Well, Mr. One Percenter, son of a, some of us can't afford HBO Max. So I can't either. <laughs> I can't either. I don't pay for it. I have a, I have a password from someone else. Um, so you know, I? LA in the 1930s was like, Everybody ate cigarettes for breakfast and did cocaine yeah. for lunch and then drank dinner. I mean, that place was a mm-hmm. cesspool in the 1930s. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. Like every actor it's in the show has a murder on their rap sheet and they never went to jail. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's wild. The, it's, all, it's all in the show. It's all in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's all in the show. Right, I got to check it out. Uh, check it out. So if you're, in the, if, you're, if you're into that stuff, <laughs> give it a shot. And, and the, the performance from Matthew Rise is incredible. Um, so you, you'll like that if you're into good acting of any kind. Um, but yeah, uh, highly recommend Perry Mason. Uh, it's a lot better than the Royals have been playing recently. And so, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll be here uh, a week from today to talk about the Royals yet again, uh, whether they do well or not this week, we will be back to talk about the Royals. So until then be good to each other and go Royals. 
Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.